Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of HSJ's Health Check podcast. My name is Nicholas Carding. I'm a senior correspondent at HSJ, and I'm standing in for Annabelle over the next couple of weeks while she takes some well-earned holiday. Uh, joining me today are Ben Clover and James Illman, and together we'll be discussing the latest NHS performance data, uh, which is currently the worst we've seen since records began. We'll also discuss national leaders' concerns about how the worsening performance is changing the public's attitudes to the NHS, and hear about an unusual contractual dispute within a prominent integrated care system. But first, the monthly NHS performance data uh, has been, just been released, and you probably won't be surprised to hear that the data uh, paints a rather bleak picture. Uh, James, could you give us the headlines first of all? Yeah, sure. So um, just to take a step back, we're, we're recording this on Thursday, um, but the um, so the data's come out today, but before we've been reporting over the last few weeks we've had these kind of unprecedented levels of concern uh, expressed to us from nhs leaders about the pressure on the system and uh, the safety of patients and staff so we've had that for some time and then on thursday nhs confederation survey was published which suggested nine out of ten leaders feel the nhs is a breaking point and that severe staff shortages are leaving all levels of systems hospitals gps and struggling to cope and then yeah the figures come out and it really underlines that these concerns are valid you know the statistics put quite simply back up the incredibly strong rhetoric that we've been hearing from NHS leaders for some time now. Um, ambulance waiting times uh, and handovers at hospitals have rightly received a lot of coverage of late and yesterday's figures unfortunately show a further deterioration. Um, I'd like to highlight the category two ambulance calls. So these are uh, calls which should be answered within 18 minutes uh, and they include emergency conditions such as heart attacks and strokes. Um, the average time was 53 minutes, 54 seconds. So it's, you know, way beyond the 18 minute target there. Um, and there was a report of uh, one in 10 patients taking one hour, 56 minutes, so nearly two hours for a um, uh, cohort of patients which should be responded to within 18 minutes then um yeah i mean the, the the target was actually being hit early on in the pandemic when um there was that very sort of strange situation when less because of lockdown people weren't going out so much but sort of pre-pandemic performance which i think gives the context was around 20 to 25 minutes so it wasn't hitting the 18 minutes but was was closer um uh, so and, and now we're looking at nearly an hour um yeah or you know nearly tripled um, if, if you go from 20 to nearly an hour. And then performance on the category one calls, that's the most urgent calls um, against the seven minute target was um, performance was on average nine minutes, 20 seconds, which again sounds quite close, but we're in, in those with those conditions where every second is counting, that um, was the worst on record. And again, really, really, um, yeah, bad and why why is this happening well uh, demand i mean the 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 number of category one incidents has exploded uh and is now more than a third higher 
um, than it was in October 2019. So a third harder than it was two years ago. Um, and yeah, it's 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 hard to know how bad things are going to get over the winter, but they certainly are very unlikely to get any better. Um, at the um, with the electives, so. Uh, oh, overall, James, can I just jump in quickly oh, yeah, on, on ambulances? I was yeah, just, sure. just while, while you're saying it, I was really struck by um, by the stats because because uh, I talked to a sort of veteran ambulance uh, exec the other day, and they said, um, well, a they said they had situations where the 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 backing up of ambulances outside hospitals was so bad that sometimes a crew would have to go to to an ambulance that was parked outside. An A and E start their shift there, taking over another ambulance crew who are in there, and then just wait for almost the whole of their shift, just so like a stationary shift. And the other thing they said was that kind of like because ambulance trusts often don't have a lot of esteem in the system, a lot of kind of clout. I think maybe because there's yeah. not that many consultants who work for them. Kind of uh, what often happens is that w- when the ambulance trusts first start warning, like this is really really bad, it's get it's going to get really really bad. Um, people go like, ah, they always say that. And then the second stage is, then, is people going like, ah, why can't they cope? Like they're, the ambulance trust is feckless. And then the first stage is kind of like two two to four weeks later, all the hospitals fall over. Uh, and then they go, oh yeah, it was bad. It's kind of, you know, they're sort of, they're always the first people to um, to sort of pick up these. The canary uh, in the mine. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think it's yeah it's still quite early in the uh, in winter for, Very early, yeah. for that to happen anyway sorry to, sorry to uh, and what uh, happens once the patients reach the uh, emergency care services at hospital james what are the stats for for a and e and trolley weights because um, they're yeah. quite significant too yeah i mean your prospects don't really get much better once you get to the hospital because the, the pressure on a and e is so high so so yeah tr- trolley weights and that's patients who have waited 12 hours or more from decision to admit are really important to stress that they could have been waiting four or five hours before decision to admit so that that figure is actually probably a lot higher um there were 7,000 trolley weights in october that's up from 5,000 in september but i think you know again looking at context pre-pandemic october 2019 that figure stood at 725 so 725 up to 7059 um yeah it's a 10 10 10 times as much i mean it's it's absolutely um crazy i i mean the um performance uh, against four hour target again has deteriorated to a new low um we're supposed to be getting a new set of emergency metrics uh which has meant that um arguably people have taken their eye off the four hour target a bit but it is still um you know the statutory target and um yeah i mean it's it's amazing that we're now just talking about these 12 hour weights when you know before people were concerned when uh we weren't hitting 95 percent on the four hour weights so yeah yeah it's um things are something like something like 10 or 12 trusts now kind of sub 50 percent on on type 1 a and e performance yeah yeah two in my own patch royal cornwall and i think bristol was the other one both into the 40s which is the cornwall has struggled for a while but it's yeah it's quite alarming when you see them slide that low down 
Yeah. I mean, it's, I... it's wild that kind of, you know, we've been, you know, me and James have been covering covering this patch for a little while, and it used to be, it, I remember when it was totally unprecedented that anyone won, went below 50%, and there was Completely. a sort of, uh, and and it's not, some of the places that are still sub 50% have been that way for a while, i.e. places that were always historically underperforming, got worse, um, but is but there are new names in there. Um, yep. And the way Definitely. it was put to me a while ago is that kind of, but there have always been some systems that really struggled in winter, but they just didn't have the capacity, the way the funding formula had worked out, that there just weren't enough staff there, et cetera. Um, but that is now much more widespread. That's, um, anyways, I'm sorry, I'm sorry to listeners to be a council of, of, uh, of despair on it. Um, but <laughs> well, just, from it, the, like, sorry, go on, then. No, but it's just so like that is, that is what the numbers say. And that's, that's, it is also what the staff say. Um, oh, completely. Um, so from I, the despairing situation in emergency care, is there any better news on the elective front? Uh, again, without, uh, you know, wishing to sound like a doomster and a gloomster, um, it, it's hard to be anything else because it's, uh, again, it's just unprecedentedly awful. So you've got an overall record long uh, list of 5.8 million and of, as listeners will know uh, that's just the um, referral to treatment aspect of the waiting list so that doesn't include follow-ups don't know on them because we don't get any data uh, which is another debate really but um, yeah in terms of the the real concern is around the longest waiters so uh, the number of patients breaching the two-year mark on the waiting list two years rose 28 percent uh, from 9,754 to 12,491 between August and September. So that's over 12,000 people who have been on the list for over two years. Um, and the number who have been on the list for over one year um, uh, just breached the 300,000 mark. Um, so again, to give you a bit of context, first of all, two years they only started publishing that figure quite recently because in the past there were so few that they didn't feel they needed to and before the pandemic hit there were around 1,652 week breaches so that's 1,600 gone up to 300,000 1,600 up to 300,000 and that 1,600 figure was considered really bad so um yeah it's, it's like three hundred thousand is like you know i live in london in a london borough london borough of southwark population is about three hundred thousand. it's weird to think of like a whole a whole yeah. borough's worth of people all waiting more than a year for their first treatment and like and the 5.6 sorry 5.8 million you mentioned it's like that's that's like one in ten of the english population um, yeah and that's and and as i said that's that's not the follow-ups either so you've got one in ten on the RTT pathway and then God knows how many and then all the um, you know missing referrals from the last year um, I'm not going to speculate on a figure there because there's been enough speculation on that and uh, we, we just don't know how many are going to come back but yeah it's just mind-bogglingly huge. So with these numbers rising particularly with the two-year waiters um, do you think it's 
at all likely that the NHS is going to achieve uh, its goal of eliminating all those two-year waiters by March 2022, because I think that was quite a, a key yeah. of plank of the NHS strategy, wasn't it, and, and priorities for the next sort of six months. Yeah, so that was highlighted in the um, planning guidance published in September for the second half of this financial year. Um, and I mean, you'd have to say it's really going in the wrong direction and we're heading into winter. So um, you, you can't predict anything at the moment, but you'd suggest the NHS would be doing amazing things if it could undo that because a lot of these people have been on the list for two years there's reasons why they've been on the list so long there's complications um there are you know there's a lot of trusts who have looked into uh why you know it's not like people aren't looking at the 104 week breaches and, and trying to do something about it they are but um a lot of them are in quite complex circumstances which makes it very hard so yeah, you'd think that that is going to get increasingly harder uh, the way it's going. Um, but who knows? Um, the 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 way the list un undulates is um, it's quite hard to predict. In terms of overall levels, you certainly feel that that's going to be very hard to uh, hold that level at the level it is now, bearing in mind we're going into winter. Um, so you'd expect more people to be added to the list. Um, so yeah um those targets look look incredible well they look challenging before and now they look yeah even even harder so taking out the the two-year waiters it is something that they you know that they've pledged to do i wonder if they would have pledged to do it if they didn't think do you know what we've asked the private sector for their activity uh projections like what we'll do is we'll take over well, two-year waiters there'll be a load I mean, they'll, they'll almost all be like P4s. And sorry if you've, like, if we're unfamiliar with the terminology, like the NHS had to sort of divide the whole elective waiting list into like P1s, the most urgent, to to like P4s, the least. And people did tell me it's like, um, that some some like the P3 to P4 things are sort of the border was a bit too porous there, and um, and you could end up with a sort of indefinite wait situation, but um, the 104 week target does sort of commit the NHS to trying to hit this and they, you know, there have been a bunch of steps that the, the girth lot led about setting up the high volume, low complexity stuff. So I think there will be quite a lot of stuff that maybe they could burn through on sort of on cold sites and in the independent sector. But the problem, like with every part of the NHS at the moment, is that um, not only are people exhausted, but um, no one really needs to earn any extra <laughs> on the bank shifts at the moment. Like mm -hmm. there's not, that's the way people described it to me is that uh, they, they, they don't want the money for an extra shift. They want a, uh, a, a bit of a holiday instead. So actually just getting the work um, done, even if you use the private sector really intensively, it's going to be quite difficult. Yeah. yeah just, hard, just hard. knackered um, the, the, the workforce is across the, the board at the moment and that's you know um just this sustained period of 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 high pressure is really yeah final quick question on electives um because you two obviously speak to the ceos uh so continually do you get a sense that they 
there's a and we've got this we've got this new plan haven't we the elective plan which the ministers of it sort of saying going to be published later this month do you get a sense of what ceos and, and sort of senior managers want to see in that plan or if there are any avenues that haven't yet been fully exploited that this plan could address or um are they just sort of looking for new ways to reinvent the wheel yeah i mean as one um chief executive put it to me they said oh well the, the best hope is for six feet of snow to keep everyone at home. Um, people are getting pretty desperate. And yeah, we, you know, the, there are um, the, the, the problem with the plan that's going to come out in November is all the traditional levers have been uh, pulled very, very hard already, you know, which sort of evolves around squeezing the pips out of the existing system. So that is having running more clinics which requires more staff and as we previously discussed um, the appetite for more shifts is has diminished significantly or sending a load to the private sector yeah and we've talked about so we've talked about emergency care we've talked about electives and the last of the the big three as i think of it is cancer uh, and ben you've been you've been looking into that this morning because again there's new stats on on cancer performance could you give us a quick rundown of um, what that picture is like and is, is there any any sort of uh, light at the end of that particular tunnel well, it's it's interesting because the the stats are they're they're bad, but they're not as dramatically um, bad as say like ambulances um, or a sort of um, big numbery as uh, as RTT as the electives. Um, but there are yeah, um, there are some pretty worrying things in it. So they started reporting um, uh, a few months back, sort of a new measure. Uh, on cancer, which is the the backlog of patients who'd waited longer than 62 days from an urgent GP referral, um, which was new because they, they always reported people who have been treated and how long they had waited when they had been treated, but not the size of the backlog um, on this one. Um, the latest figures, um, it's sort of plateaued. This is weekly data and it kind of goes up to about halfway through September. So there's a little lag. Um, but it sort of plateaued just south of 25,000. Um, for context, like at its absolute peak in May last year, it was 35,000. Um, and in the, the sort of the uh, last January, December, again, it was uh, it was around 20. So, so it's sort of worrying that it's crept up higher than the, um, the, the peak time, than the most recent peak we experienced, like last uh, December and January. Um, and, and like, why has it got so high? Well, the overall figure, I mean, so, sorry, just to recap on, on cancer, um, the, the multiple problems caused by the pandemic. Um, so less people going to their GPs. So, uh, so less presentation, then less referral from the GPs, then less, um, diagnostics, uh, because of all the disruption to services and then less treatment. Right. Um, so overall, like the main uh, indicator that people, sort of the main cancer uh, cancer indicator people have used as a sort of proxy for the whole system, even though it is very complicated, um, is the two month wait from um, GP urgent referral to a first treatment. Right. And that's an 85 percent target that hasn't been hit overall since 2013. Um, and the decline has been fairly steady kind of you know steady but small but just on this morning's data it's just touched um 70 which is a 
which is a low. Um, so kind of, although bits of the picture have have recovered, um, well, so yeah, although bits of the picture have recovered, there there are some kind of interesting kind of worrying shifts in it because it's not only the do we still have a lot of missing people out there? And by the way, quite a lot of the people who might have expected to have had their lung cancer uh, treatment, um, well, their lung cancer discovered, treated and survived, have already died, um, is what people in the in that field tell me. Like There are some cancers that are much more amenable to early treatment, um, although that does apply for all of them. Um, but there's the one that really, uh, one that's really kind of jumped out this month, as well as the total um, kind of backlog being being kind of worryingly high. Um, and I think there's a sort of reflection of the general pressures on on services um, from from you know the busyness of hospitals, meaning work gets cancelled, even even quite important work. Is that uh, there's another measure within underneath the 62 day one, which is uh, how many people got treat what proportion of people got treated uh, within a month um from their yeah from their decision to treat right and that's a that's a 96 percent uh target now overall since april 2020 it's only sort of dipped down to like the 94 93 um which seems like it's not all that far off the overall however when you strip out um radiotherapy and starting drugs uh, cancer drugs regimen when you just look at surgery which is the bit that's most hospitally um or rather the bit that's most susceptible to other pressures in the system i.e having having work cancelled having your anesthetists pulled away to to man icus and, and do other stuff um that uh, which has a 96 percent target uh, dipped on the most re- recent figures to to below eighty four percent. Yeah, and and the longer that goes on, obviously, the more uh, unhappy the public become uh, with the way the NHS is working. And that just brings me on to to James. You picked up on this um, becoming, I think, an increasing concern among national leaders. Um, the fact that yeah. the public attitude is changing. Um, you went to a conference, I think, where a national leader was speaking about this. Yeah, yeah. So um, Stella Vig, who is one of the two national clinical directors for elective care um, at NHS England, um, said that uh, um, the NHS had gone from getting clapped by the public to getting slaps uh, because patience, patience has run out. Um, and I know uh, kind of, you know, buzz phrases aren't, aren't, aren't very helpful in the situation, but it, it's really important to to highlight this problem um, and I think Miss Vig did exactly the right thing. Um, she said people talk about the NHS claps, well now we're getting the NHS slaps. People are no longer tolerant about what we're doing and they want their treatment um, because they're getting sick of waiting. Uh, it's now impacting on their quality of life and what COVID has taught us is that life is important, time is important, and therefore we need to manage our NHS in the best way we can. And I think, you know, not that we can ever condone abuse, uh, physical or verbal or, or, or any abuse of staff uh, at all. I mean, it's disgraceful, but you can understand why people uh, are getting impatient. Um, so it's, um, yeah, it's a really depressing story. Um, uh, and the, you know, staff are now feeling less and less safe. And, you know, over the last 
um, few years, we've seen an increase in the number of um, complaints from paramedics who are getting attacked. So it's all, yeah, um, it, it's uh, a, a, another problem caused by the pandemic and caused by even longer waits. Um, and it, yeah. Um, yeah, and the other thing I saw that she um, she mentioned in the uh, in her speech that you reported on, James, was that she talks about the waiting list being not always accurate. Um, and I was interested by that, particularly in light of uh, another story that we broke uh, this week from Ben, which was that um, there is a dispute between two NHS bodies in London over uh, the waiting list uh, activity and and sort of charging of for, for that work. Ben, do you just want to quickly talk us through that last um, that last story because it, it feels like it's something which uh, the NHS has tried to outlaw this kind of dispute, uh, certainly in this new era of collaboration and uh, and system yeah. working. So what's going yeah. on? Yeah, I mean, um, so this was from the accounts of the Chelsea and Westminster Hospital, one of the um, more fortunate hospital trusts in London and the country, um, very well regarded. And to be fair, look, they've got a £750 million turnover, right? So a kind of, so a dispute over 400k with their commissioners, that's not a big percentage figure. However, like you say, um, we were supposed to be moving away from uh, the quasi market the NHS has operated in for the last 20 years we're supposed to be moving away from the era of um, like pretend commissioners pretend commissioning from uh, a pretend market that was usually just the, the hospital of the same the same uh, place name and its title as the CCG had we're supposed to be moving away from all of that um, uh, and the idea that, that this would happen now um, and it had to be recorded in the accounts when the chief executive of the hospital is the same person who's basically the uh, in charge of the ICS as well, which is supposed to include the commissioners. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a, a bad sign about how well integration is going in, in that particular patch in <laughs> Northwest London. Or maybe it's a sign of like robustness of, of, of challenge, you know, kind of, you know, these... these um, the these systems for payment do still exist kind of you know it it would be maybe a slightly weird system that was nice yes maybe it'd be too integrated if there was no way to challenge um you know kind of decisions that were made in another part of the system um you know and it and it was it it was always something the nhs wasn't keen to talk about because they were always uh wary of having to explain to a public that there did exist this like but a strange pretend market within the NHS. So not so long ago, I think it's yeah. two, three years ago, there was about, I FOI'd it, there was like 20 million quids worth of um, of uh, arbitration disputes that the, the NHS England had to adjudicate on um, in, in this like pretend market. To be fair, about half of that came from one trust, but it did end up being quite big um big sums of money in some cases again this would affect patients hopefully hardly at all but um mm. but they weren't keen to explain uh to the public or to anyone even close to the public that um that there would be the surely the public would say this is all public money what what is going on here um although again to be fair to the people bringing the cases or defending the cases um and they went both ways. Sometimes it's commissioners saying, oh, they've overcharged us for this. 
this is the kind of thing that happens in America all the time with real money. Um, yeah, or they've overcharged us, or or we have been underpaid uh, for this work. But yeah, interesting. Would um, yeah. they, they accidentally sent me some correspondence saying we shouldn't? We want to not talk about this because uh, knowledge of Brighton's victory in this matter, Brighton Sussex University Hospitals Trust, uh, might encourage other trusts to issue challenges. But it's sort of like you know annoying as it must be um and sort of indicative of you know not very clear management as it can be um you know the the allocations for for wherever money goes for nhs budgets have always been lumpy you know they've been they've mm, been ironed out yeah. a bit more but they have always been lumpy so kind of i mean in the patch i've covered for a fair odd while london um you think oh what has happened to these trusts that are sort of near it's nearer the m25 they just seem to have such terrible problems and then you look at the you know how the allocations have gone and they some places are just underfunded for the work that they do so it's like oh why does why did st george's have a terrible deficit explosion once every five years like, well maybe it's because they are systemically underfunded for the work they do and should yeah. there be ways to challenge that system yeah probably there should <laughs> anyway um, either way it's still a bit frustrating i suppose for leaders to watch this kind of dispute playing out when there's so much else to be getting on with as well but um as you yeah, say it it's feels not, very it's not much the biggest like, amount of money but... No, but it is kind of part of like the arcane pseudo uh pseudo religion yes. in the nhs which you know to people on the front given all of the performance stuff we were just talking about um must feel a bit surreal yeah well uh we live in surreal times and on that note uh thanks very much ben and james for joining me on the podcast and um, thanks very much to you for listening uh, and just a reminder you can get in touch with tips and ideas for what we uh, what we should talk about you can email those to annabelle collins at wilmingtonhealthcare.com all our podcasts are available on hj.co.uk and on all major podcast channels and we'll be back next week so thanks again for listening and see you next week <laughs>